to the UFO Thinker podcast. I'm Frank and this is episode two. Hopefully going to be a little bit of an improvement on the previous episode this time. Um, after listening back to it, a bit of a learning curve involved, uh, but I think I'll make some little adjustments this time and, and hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll be a continuing improvement as the podcasts go along. Um, so, this time, I've decided to do it with a bit more of a structure to today's episode of the podcast. And the idea is, I'm going to try to go into a bit more detail, a bit more depth, regarding a, what probably I think is the most significant uh, UFO case that has happened in, in recent years. And that is the uh, the Nimitz event so this is one that a lot of people will probably already know about if you're already interested in the topic you're going to know uh, a bit about it but I, I do think that it's worth going into some detail on it because of the significance of the case and and the plan is i'm also going to try and analyze um other cases that, that have happened as well and and apply the same questions and the, the same process to breaking down those cases um, and try to find out which cases are really bulletproof and which cases are a little bit less bulletproof and, and could have uh, more day-to-day explanations for the goings-on. So this case, the name of the case, is the USS Nimitz UFO Incident. Um, I mean, that, that's not the official name as such, but that, that's the name I'm going to give it for for the purposes of naming the case. It took place on the 14th of November 2004. Uh, by the way, I'm not an expert on UFOs. If anybody's listened to the previous podcast, you'll know I'm coming at this from the point of view of somebody who's very interested and has been for a long, long time, but kind of fell out of love with the topic for a while. And then it's only in the recent three or four years that things have really started to pick up with the topic and a lot more uh, credible people and, and a lot more credible evidence has, has come to light that I've got back into the topic. So I'm not an expert. I'm not qualified in this or anything. I'm not a professional journalist, but I, th- I think um, that I approach it from the regular person's point of view, trying to make sense of the thing. And uh, I am going to try and go into quite a bit of detail. So hopefully some people will find it interesting. If, if you'd know nothing about the topic, it might be quite a mind blower. If, if you know a lot about the topic, who knows, maybe I'll, you know, it'll be interesting for you to listen to my viewpoint on it. And, and as I say, I think a case like this is worth analysing and analysing till the cows come on because it's so important. Um, but what I was about to say is if there's any details that I get wrong, I would love to hear from from people who, who know the, the correct version of events. So feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter, at UFO Thinker. And um, you can get at me there, send me a tweet, or um, if you want to message me directly, I'd be, I'd be interested to hear if there is anything that I've got wrong. I'm in this to get to the bottom of things. I'm not trying to say I'm right or I have all the answers because I have no idea, but I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it because I find it fascinating. I mean, how could you not find this kind of thing fascinating? We're talking about one of the greatest questions that human beings have ever asked. And um, 
Yeah. Anyway, so let's get cracking with it. So we know the name of the case. It's the USS Nimitz UFO incident, and it happened on the 14th of November, 2004. So this is a long time ago. So a, a brief description of the case. The fighter pilot commander David Fravor and Alex Dietrich, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Dietrich, Dietrich, uh, along with their WSOs, which is Weapon System Operators, for anybody who's not aware of that already, along with their WSOs aboard two separate Super Hornet aircraft, witnessed an unusual object for a total of approximately five minutes. This was after being scrambled to intercept one of the unknown objects seen on the radar. Commander Fravor reports seeing a large area of disturbed water with the tic-tac-shaped object performing manoeuvres that no fighter jet would be able to achieve. This included rapid changes in direction, instant acceleration, and finally disappearing and reappearing 60 miles away at the exact location the pilots were due to travel to. No footage was recorded by the initial two aircraft, but a follow-up investigation did capture what is now known as the FLIR video, F-L-I-R, which stands for Forward-Looking Infrared Camera. And that's, again, a lot of people who are interested in the topic will already know that, but just in case there's anybody who didn't know, that's what it means. And this was recorded by the aircraft flown by... Lieutenant Commander Chad Underwood, who took off from the Nimitz to investigate what Commander Fravor had seen, caught up with the, the object at the end point 60 miles away from the initial sighting. So, obviously, that's an absolutely enormous thing to happen. You know, we're talking about multiple pilots who have seen an object that they can't understand and can't explain. And not only that, it's been backed up by a second pilot who's actually well as a second um flight which has gone to investigate this thing and has also seen it but it is worth mentioning that the pilot who went to, to actually have a look at it afterwards chad underwood he actually didn't see it with the naked eye as far as i'm aware again if i'm wrong about that feel free to correct me but that's from the information that i've been able to research that's what i have I've found so the next category is the number of witnesses now, technically, there were four in-person witnesses who actually saw this with the naked eye, and that is pilots Fravor and Dietrich and their WSOs, so that's four people in total. As well as that, there was the FLIR video, although the two jets involved in the follow-up mission, to which recorded the FLIR video, did not witness the object with their own eyes, only via the FLIR camera. And the object did also show up on multiple radar systems though which is significant and again now that is not the naked eye as such but it, it is you know it, it again even if you've not actually seen the the radar footage you can't verify that i suppose but it is if if this radar footage does exist which i have seen a lot of people talking about this topic and have, and have said that one of the things that would make this case much more bulletproof would be that radar footage which has not come out but if that radar footage was ever released as well as any other information then we would have a bit of a different situation um to the things that i'm talking about here and it would certainly make it a lot more bulletproof but yeah that that's that and 
the next uh, little category that I've made is were the witnesses credible slash trained observers? And now I would say yes, all witnesses involved were highly respected and highly trained military personnel. If you're looking at somebody who you would rely on to be a witness for something, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, we're not talking about some guy who lives in a farm in the middle of nowhere. We're not talking about somebody who could have could or you know possibly been on some kind of a hallucinogenic drugs. We're talking about people who are completely straight edge military pilots, the the highest category of of um, people within the military, the expertise of flying you know multi million pound aircraft. It doesn't get any better than that in terms of a credible witness, which is. I mean, again, it's why I think this case is so significant and it was a massive turning point for me to actually take this thing a lot more seriously and I think a massive part of why the the topic has since, you know, become a lot more mainstream and the stigma is, is slowly being removed. Um, so that's the, the witnesses. I think it's safe to say the witnesses are all, you know, extremely credible witnesses so does video footage slash photographs exist now yes FLIR video was taken of the object unfortunately no footage exists of the initial sighting by Fravor which is where the majority of the significant unexplained movements took place now that is a real shame about this case when I've been looking into this I'm thinking, if only the guy had took his mobile phone out and actually took some kind of a snapshot of the thing, or can you imagine the difference it would be if we had actual video of it performing these incredible um, manoeuvres that it supposedly made? And now when uh, Commander Fravor has been on the Joe Rogan podcast and a, a number of other news um, interviews and things like that, he's talked about the fact that it would just zip from side to side, seem to change direction... Uh, instantly it could travel at speeds that are inconceivable uh, that any aircraft um, if any aircraft tried to travel at that speed it would be destroyed by the g-forces involved etc um, and it's a i find it a real shame that unfortunately there's no actual evidence of that now this is where this case becomes a little bit tricky because you have to to a certain extent put some trust into the actual witnesses and believe their testimonies now that's where it gets tough because you believe do you believe them or do you not believe them i suppose the fact that there's so many people that have seen it it's not just one guy and his co-pilot it's also a separate jet and and that pilot's co uh, well wso um and also on top of that it's another pilot who's gone out specifically to fly to the thing to check it out after he's been told about it by the and even that pilot actually witnessed it now not in person on that was on the the, the FLIR uh, didn't actually see it with his with his naked eye as as I believe but still it's um it makes it easier to believe the testimony the the fact that somebody has actually seen this thing backed up by other people and they're all extremely credible that helps but you are still having to use a certain amount of just belief in these people now the type of people that they are 
suggests that they are more believable and it, that's something that helps you to believe the, the the account of what these people have seen but unfortunately you are still stuck with having to believe somebody's testimony rather than actually seeing it with your own eye which is a problem but it's how much are you willing to go along with what they're saying you know based on the fact that they're extremely credible if you're going to believe anyone maybe these are the people to believe kind of thing but anyway let's get on to the next uh, little category then so was the video backed up by secondary video source radar or FLIR data etc unfortunately it was only FLIR data in this case although it could be argued that this is balanced out by the multiple witnesses all seeing the same thing so that's basically what I was just talking about just now it's a real shame we've not got more footage and I, I actually I can't remember the specific quote but I do seem to remember that that David Fravor on the Joe Rogan podcast said he does kick himself that he didn't do some kind of whip his phone out and take a quick picture of it or, or something but um but that is what it is unfortunately we don't have footage of that initial sighting or at least that's that's that we know of i mean there may be other footage of this thing or these things as, as the case may be but we've not got it yet and i'm talking about what we've got on the table with this case if you were going to try and explain this case to somebody who has no interest in ufos but uh, is open to hearing about things what can you definitively say look this is this and this is this and we're not relying on what if there's this and what if there's that that that's kind of what i'm trying to do with this bulletproof thing you need if you were going to be talking to that individual you would need it to be as bulletproof as possible so you don't want you know somebody to pick holes in your story you've got to have a bulletproof story that you're putting forward a bulletproof account of what happened um so Let's talk about some possible ex explanations of what this thing could have been, this, this incident, what, what could be behind it. So I have looked into uh, debunkers and various sceptics and, and these types of people. Everybody knows, if you're interested in this topic, who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name any names as such. Well, maybe I will now and again, but mostly I don't want to sort of last thing i want to do with this podcast is start talking negatively about people you know that's not what it's all about um but there are um definitely some people out there that, that are desperate there's people out there that are desperate to say that it's aliens you know straight away without looking into the specifics of it and things like that and there's also people that are desperate to say it's a balloon and i think either extreme is not very helpful or constructive um but even so let's examine the possible explanations for what this could be so i've heard people say things like it could be some kind of weather phenomenon such as ball lightning or undiscovered natural phenomenon similar to ball lightning now that seems very unlikely to me due to the fact that and again, I don't think I've mentioned this so far, but apparently this object was actively jamming radar systems and cloaking itself from the, the second wave of fighters, which is why it was only visible on the FLIR at that time. Or it could be why it was only 
visible on the on the FLIR rather than with the naked eye, which would explain why the pilots who went to investigate afterwards didn't see it with the naked eye. And again, on the Joe Rogan podcast, Commander Fravers talking about how this thing is actively jamming the radar, not passively, so like it's just cloaking itself in terms of it's, it's just like a stealth uh, aircraft. Stealth aircrafts basically just reflect radar waves so they don't show up on radar as much, but apparently this thing was actively jamming their radar systems. So that doesn't sound like ball lightning or it doesn't sound like any kind of weather phenomenon to me. Um, so I, I, th I think that's quite a, a stretch to, to believe that this thing would be some kind of weather phenomenon. But hey, there's a lot of things we don't understand about the world we live in. So it could be some kind of absolutely, it, it could possibly be some kind of absolutely bizarre weather phenomenon that we didn't even know existed. Um, so we've got to put it on the table as a possible what you've got to weigh up is how likely that actually is. And I would say that's pretty unlikely. Um, but it's something that people mention, so it's worth including it. Possible foreign military drone or similar. Now, again, there is definitely the possibility that that could be the case. <clears throat> but... Again, I'd say that's extremely unlikely because we're talking about an event here that took place in 2004. Now, by that point, China had not advanced to a stage where it would be likely that they would have such technology. And the Russia or the USA are also extremely unlikely to have this kind of technology at that point in time. I mean, again, I could be completely wrong and it could be some kind of technology from russia from the united states or from from china but especially the china option there it seems quite unlikely to me that at that point in china's development i just don't think they were on that level at this stage um russia or america the big thing that stands out for me that says that this is not russia or america is that we're talking about an event here that happened 16 years ago 17 years ago now and if such world-changing technology existed at that moment in time, I really think we would have at least a hint of it by now. We would have at least a hint that this technology was being rolled out into the mainstream. If you, if you as a country had technology like this, surely you would, you would start to use it or at least go down a path where it becomes possible that you might you know incorporate it into into day-to-day -day things because it's it's a it would change the course of history forever why would you sit on that technology for 16 17 years doesn't really make sense to me if china had it they would be the, the most uh, powerful world power by now if russia did exactly the same if america did it i mean obviously there's the possibility that it's an american secret program and america have kept it secret because because they don't even want to reveal it to other elements of their own military so that they, they do test flights and things without telling the the other the other you know branches of the military but again it, it just seems like clutching at straws really that that would be the case and again it's if such world changing technology existed you wouldn't sit on that for two decades without even starting to use it um it's a possibility, but again, it seems unlikely if I'm honest. So 
Another option is the possibility of undiscovered life forms native to planet Earth, originating possibly in oceans, which would explain the, the swell of water. And I'm not talking about some kind of advanced intelligent life here. It could just be that there's some creatures that we don't understand, that we've never seen before, that live under the ocean and potentially have some kind of flying part of their being so the actual the the main uh, part of the creature could be under the water and it could potentially send out almost like tendrils to actually investigate its current its area now we're talking pretty far-fetched to stuff here so i mean this is just me speculating but it, it is possible even if, even if this thing's not intelligent there are some weird things going on in in our planet we've only just discovered you know, there's there's hundreds of species that get discovered every year. Weird little spiders and, and you know, un, unusual. We didn't even think there was life in underneath the oceans until quite recently, and now we find out that actually the deepest parts of the ocean are actually teeming with life. So it doesn't seem completely out of the realms of possibility to me that this could potentially be some kind of life form which can potentially send out little probes to see what's going on. It's kind of like a mothership and little probes explanation that people often think about when they talk about extraterrestrials. But maybe just some kind of bizarre squid, you know, that can detach little bits of itself and send them flying around. Or um, who knows? I mean, that, that to me is a, a possible. We're kind of going into the realms of science fiction with it, but who knows? You know, it's... Um, it's extremely unlikely, since as the movements described by the witnesses seem to defy physics as we understand it. But then again, there's a lot of things that we don't understand about this world. And, and who's to say there, couldn't, there might not be some kind of squid that can do things like that. Or, you know, when we discover it, it completely changes our understanding of, of you know, physics and science and things like that. It's, it's a thought. It's a thought. I'm not saying that's what it is, but just thought that was worth mentioning. And then the last possible explanation that I can think of is that it is an object that originates off this planet and it's from a life form far more advanced than our own. And that is, strangely, when you consider the options that I've just laid out as possible explanations, that one doesn't seem to be that far-fetched to me. It seems like that is more likely than some of the other things that I've just mentioned. It feels like when you say that about the thing being a weather phenomenon such as ball lightning, it, that, that seems like we, we, we're clutching at straws. We, we just It doesn't seem very likely to me as an ordinary person. I can't see that, it's, that that's particularly likely as an option. So when you say that it's something that originates off this planet, how, how wacky is that to say? I mean... If you think about it, I, I'm, as I understand it, there were certain intelligence programs that were designed to specifically ridicule the concept of UFOs. And we grew up in a society as somebody who's, who's you know, in my mid-30s. Ever since I was a little kid, the concept of flying saucers and UFOs and aliens is just something that people have a bit of a laugh about. Everybody knows that, that these things are a thing. 
We know that there's Area 51, there's been films made about it, cartoons. If you show a little kid an alien, they'll go, oh, it's an alien. You know, it's, it's so strange to me that we're in a, in a situation with our society where that's the case and we just brushed it off. And obviously, recently, over the recent years, I've been researching about why that might be the case. And there's a lot to say that it's, it's, the Americans were terrified of the Russians pretending to have a, a UFO invasion in order to jam the American communication systems. And, and that certainly explains why we've ended up in the position that we are. But if you think about what we know now, I mean, I was, I was amazed that uh, recently I found out that we didn't really actually definitively know there were other planets in the universe until as recently as the 80s and 90s. It was speculation, but we had no way of actually saying that there were other planets outside of our solar system. Could it have been just stars for all we knew. And now we know that there are absolute trillions and trillions of planets. How likely is it really that there is no life in trillions and trillions of other planets? We didn't know that there was water on Mars until the last couple of years. There was speculation, but we didn't know for sure. Now we know that there's liquid water on Mars. So we're not the only planet that's got water. I say liquid water. Actually, I think the water was frozen that was on Mars and, and still is, but they found evidence that at one point it may have been liquid. So the the rate that we have been advancing our knowledge about these kinds of things is it's got to the point where now it, it almost seems more silly to think that there's not life out there somewhere than to think that there is. But it's just that we're still stuck as a society with this out-of-date way of looking at things where because we've had these things drilled into us, where we, we, we still see it as something a bit a bit bizarre, a bit silly, you know, a bit, oh, little green men, tinfoil hat type of stuff, eh? Whee, you know, that's funny. But hang on, whoa, whoa, let's just strip away the bias. Let's just talk about the realities of, like, how how likely is it, if you're just talking about probabilities, how likely is it that it's just us? And, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this as well, is that it's scary, really, to think that, that it's just us. I mean, think about the responsibility that that puts on us as a human race. Just us, in the whole of the expanse of the universe, it's just us, that's it. That's more bizarre and unlikely than the fact that there's other life out there. And now we understand, as a human race, how old the universe is. There could have been life forms that evolved millions of years ago and they reached the stage where we are now a million years ago can you imagine what our civilization what the human race is going to be like in a million years if we continue on the path that we are now we would be unrecognizable we're unrecognizable now from what we were 20 years ago 30 years ago people would have been absolutely mind blown by the fact that we have a mobile phone the fact we have the internet was inconceivable. It was Star Trek type of stuff 30 years ago. And now it's just day to day. You know, it really makes you think when you actually strip away the bias and the things we've been brought up to believe and, and the way that society treats these issues, 
when you really try and take that out of your way of thinking about it, it seems a bit crazy to, to think that we haven't taken this seriously for the last 50, 70 years, whatever it is. Anyway, let's get back on track with the, the points. So now we've been through the possible explanations for this case. What do the debunkers and the sceptics say about it? So, and again, this isn't to talk negatively about the guy, but if you know about this topic, you'll know about Mick West. Mick West is a prominent uh, debunker, sceptic, and I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with the guy, to be honest with you. I don't have a really bad word to say about him. He seems quite intelligent and well-spoken. He seems to have thought through his arguments there is definitely an element where he seems to enjoy reigning on the parade of people who, who think differently to himself but you know kind of we all do don't we in, in some ways whether we like to admit it or not but i don't think the guy's particularly offensive and he brings up some interesting points and i also think if you want to look at this this topic properly you have to take on board arguments from people that are desperately trying to prove it wrong because if you can get a case to be so bulletproof that even people like Mick West can't argue with it, that's when you know you're really onto something. And I think that that's what the last few years have been. People like Mick West are clutching at straws to keep up with all the abundance of evidence that's coming out. So Mick West has attempted to vigorously explain away the FLIR footage by saying that the shooting off to the left at the end of the clip is not actually caused by the object moving at all but rather the camera settings being changed. This may actually be correct, and actually this highlights why I think we should listen to debunkers, as they can actually help with unbiased analysis. We have to take on board all sides of the debate if we're actually actively trying to get to the truth. So let's assume that Mick West is correct, and the footage does not show the object leaving the camera. If you've not seen the FLIR footage of this object, it's worth having a look uh, at, the, at that footage to actually know what I'm talking about. But basically, the Chad Underwood FLIR video, it shows the object just hovering, and then after a certain amount of time, the object just completely just zips off to the left, it seems to be. And the way that David Fravor has explained it on the Joe Rogan podcast and, and probably others is that it seems to just zip off at a rate of speed that's unexplainable. But as Mick West has said... Um, you know, according to the way that he looks at it, that's not actually the object leaving, it's something to do with the settings on the camera. So he's basically saying that the camera settings have been changed, causing it to lose lock on the object, giving the illusion of it moving away very rapidly. Even if this is the case, which would rely on us believing Mick West over the word of a highly respected fighter pilot, it still leaves a lot of unanswered questions. So why is the object invisible to the naked eye but showing up on the FLIR system? Now that to me would appear to suggest some kind of stealth or cloaking system of some kind. We're not talking about an object there that um, is, is purely just, um, you know, that it's just floating like a balloon would or something like that. And... It's, it's a difficult one because we don't see what happens next after the video finishes. So he may have then, if Mick West is correct and he's actually just lost lock on the object, then what happens when he got locked back again? So 
we have to assume that this pilot who's flying this multi-million pound vehicle, one of the most highly trained people within our society, is just he just completely lost lock on a target and then that was it. Now, if it was the case that he then regained lock on the target, surely the video would go on for a bit longer because there's no way that you're just going to go, oh, we've lost lock, oh, now we've got lock again, um, well, let's just fly off and leave it now. It, 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 when you think of it like that, it just seems a little bit unlikely that a, a pilot would just lose lock on an object like that through trying to change the settings on the camera and then, ah, right, let's just go back to the ship, boys, never mind. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I understand what he's saying, and I don't know about this. I've never used a FLIR camera. I've never flown a jet, but it just sounds a little bit off. But the unanswered questions are, why is the object invisible to the naked eye but showing up on the FLIR system? You've got to wonder about that one. I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. And why was the object observed by four separate individuals over the course of up to five minutes, as well as being detected on the radar systems of the ship? Certain information which could exist on the military records would clear this up beyond any doubt. For example, if the ship's radar footage was recorded and it backs up the unusual movements as described by the pilots, this would make the case much stronger. It may be that this data has not been released due to containing classified information about the weapons or observation technology. It's also unfortunate that there's no additional footage taken from the jets of Commander Fravor or Dietrich, as again, this would prove beyond any doubt what they said in their testimonies. And that's something I mentioned earlier, it's a real shame, that's something that bugs me. Like, if you could see the other... You know, if you could see actual footage of the Tic Tac doing these strange movements, if you could see some more detailed radar footage that backs up what they were saying, it would just give that extra point. But what we have to remember is that you can't always get what you want with these things. You can't, it may be that there's information contained within radar footage or there may actually be other video footage that we're maybe never going to see because these things get buried. Sometimes they might get deleted, uh, you know, classified information within it. That it just means that we're not going to see it. And I have a feeling that if we've not seen it from 2004 up until now, we're probably not going to see any more details emerge about this case. I hope I'm wrong and I hope we do, but that's my gut feeling. But, Unfortunately, with this case, a lot rests on whether you are willing to believe the word of the pilots involved. And that is, you know, until such time as more footage is released. But as I said, I find that a bit unlikely that it's going to happen by this point. Could well be that the flare footage currently available is only part of a longer clip, as I mentioned earlier. And if the debunkers' theories are true, then it could be that shortly after the end of the clip, the flare regains lock on the object and continues to track it for some time. However, if the debunkers' theories are not correct, then the object's movement is indeed extremely unusual. And both of these potential outcomes would seem to point towards this case being very important and not easily explained. And again, I think it's something that a lot of the debunkers and sceptics do. They try to explain away each individual part of this case. 
without looking at the bigger picture and the bigger picture here is actually the important thing so with that let's take this to the a bit of a conclusion so is this case something that i would consider bulletproof and i have to say yes i think this is probably the most bulletproof case that exists that i've seen so far which as i say i think that's why this particular case has led to such a resurgence in conversations about this topic it's just purely due to the number of people involved and the nature of the captured footage safe to say that this is an unidentified object which does not fit any log logical explanation it would seem that this particular object has characteristics which are very hard to explain however the problem with this case is that the most striking behaviour of the observed craft was not caught on camera as far as we know currently. The actual footage taken from the FLIR camera shows an object which appears to be still before shooting off to the left. However, there are some explanations as to why this would could be the case as explored by the debunkers. But that only goes a small way to explain the FLIR footage itself and not the pilot's testimonies and the the apparent fact that it appeared on radar and other sensors data as well. In this case, I feel that the testimonies are significant because of the number of individuals who witnessed the object and its movements. And even more importantly, the nature of the people who witnessed these objects. We, you can use the analogy of a doctor who gives a professional opinion that you need to be treated for a serious ailment but is not able to show evidence of this on a scan but has seen with his own eyes that there's a significant concern. In that case, I think most people would be willing to trust the opinion of the doctor and go ahead with treatment regardless of whether he's able to prove evidence using scanning equipment. Perhaps it could be argued that you might look for a second opinion in that case. But if there were four doctors who had performed an operation to investigate the ailment that you were suffering from, all four of them agreed it was certain the treatment would be needed, you'd be inclined to believe them and go ahead with the treatment. Now, similarly, in this case, four separate, highly trained individuals whose job it is to observe, track and respond to unknown objects in the sky are all telling us that they saw something that defies explanation and but unfortunately there's no evidence they can produce to definitively prove that but there is a strong argument there to say they should be believed perhaps more footage will become available but until that time the fact that remains is a lot hangs on the word of those four pilots within this case but I think what you have to remember is the credibility of these four people we're not talking here about one standalone piece of evidence or one witness testimony. We're talking about a number of people who all saw the same thing from within different vehicles and then the actual radar footage well, showed that the thing was there, which was why they were sent to investigate it in the first place. And... Not only that, the backup flight that was sent to investigate it after the initial sightings by Fravor and Dietrich also found something there. So I, I would say it's about as bulletproof as we're going to get. 
it is a shame that there isn't any additional it, if we get some kind of radar footage from that particular event or some kind of footage that exists of the object the tic tac object or the water with the, the disturbed water that would just take it to a whole new level and let's hope maybe that could be the case but i do think it's quite unlikely but as it stands that particular case the nimitz case 2004 is about as bulletproof as what we've got at this moment in time so i hope you've enjoyed having a listen to that that was my analysis of the situation as i say anybody who knows any any bits that i've got wrong there i really would like to hear because i'm trying to get to the facts here i'm trying to get to the actual data the the realities of what's going on i'm not just trying to prove one way with an agenda that i've already decided in advance i'm a human make mistakes so feel free to, to tell me if i've got anything wrong i'd be interested to hear and i'll add that into a little update uh, on the next podcast um if you have i actually noticed there's been a few people download the pod, a surprising number of people have actually uh downloaded the podcast um so thank you very much to the people who've listened and i'm sorry it's been a little bit of a while since the last one but it's a bit difficult to actually find the time to get in and do it hopefully i'll try and get another one in soon um but yeah i hope you've enjoyed listening and like i say get at me on twitter if you if you want to uh, let me know of anything that i've got wrong or if you if you just want to give me a shout out it's at ufo thinker on twitter and uh, hopefully catch you in the next podcast UFO Thinker Podcast.